Hello and welcome to our daily devotional podcast. Let's look now at Acts chapter 20. We'll read from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Acts 20 verse 13. Let us pray. Father, as we read your word, we ask that you speak to us. And then as we meditate, as we take time to think about what you say, that it will not, we will not just be hearers of the word, but that your word will take root in our hearts, in our minds. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 20, verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Essos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Essos, he took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. Next day we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem if possible by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to you, to both Jews and Greeks, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the grace of His word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was the statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In today's passage, what I want to look at is Paul's theology. Now let me say something about theology before we look at Paul's theology. 
We often think that theology is what we learn in Bible college. But the reality is that all of us are theologians. There are two, perhaps, very diverse categories of theology. One is professed theology. That's the theology that we say we believe in. And maybe that's the theology that we learn in Bible class, the theology that we learn in Bible college even. The theology that we say that we believe in, like the Apostles' Creed. But there is the other category called lived theology. And lived theology is the real kind of theology because that is the understanding of God that determines the way we live our lives. Theology simply means knowing God, the study of God, understanding God. And lived theology, therefore, means the understanding of God that determines, that controls our lives, that motivates the way we live. And often, lived theology and professed theology are very different. What do I mean by that? We may say that we believe that um, we will have eternal life after we die, for example. And therefore, that eternal life is so much better than our life on earth. But then we live as though we are terrified of dying. Just last Sunday, a friend of mine commented that Christians seem to be far more afraid of dying than non-Christians. And there's nothing even to do with leaving the families behind. Simply the thought of dying is terrifying. And so while we say that we profess that we believe in life everlasting and a beautiful life at that, our lived theology actually tells us that we don't believe it at all which is what makes us gassy, that we are afraid of dying because we don't believe that death takes us to a better place. Now, another thing that we may profess, another theology that we may profess, may be that God takes care of us. God watches over us. God is intensely interested in caring for our needs. But our lived theology, but the way we live, when we are gassu, when we grasp for things ourselves, when we look out for ourselves and worry endlessly about whether we get the things that we want or not, perhaps betrays our lived theology, the belief, the real belief that we don't believe that God will ever give us anything good. Because if we don't believe that God will give us anything good, then we better fight for it ourselves. And so while we may say that God gives us heart's desires and God gives us uh, everything that we want. The real theology in our lives, the lived theology, is that we don't believe anything of that sort. That really, we don't think that God will care for us, and therefore, we care for ourselves. See, so, theology, all of us are theologians. Theologians are people who have an understanding of God one way or another. And that lived theology, that real theology that we hold in our hearts is what governs our actions, what controls the way we think, what controls the way we live our lives. All of us are theologians and all of us have theologies. Perhaps then it's important that our lived theology and our professed theology will slowly converge so that we believe really from our hearts what we profess with our lips. But that may take a long time, and that's fine. We keep growing and believing what we say we believe. 
So now we look at Paul's theology. Now Paul's theology is specially important because Paul was one of the first and the most important evangelists. Paul reflects God's heart, God's will, God's plan. And so when we talk about Paul's theology, it's not about Paul just writing a a letter or theological treatise or theological paper. It's about what he really believes in. And in this case, as he talks to the, the elders in Ephesus, he pours out his heart. So he's not just intellectually telling us what his theology is. But as he pours out his heart, we begin to understand what his lived theology really is. What is it that he really believes in, that controls, that explains why he lives the way he lives? But that is so much more important. Because Paul, when Paul talks about his lived theology, he's talking about the realities of life, what God, life with God is all about, what life on earth is all about, what life in the kingdom of God is all about. You see, if I were to tell you what my lived theology is, you may say, well, yeah, I know you're sincere, you're really sincere about what you believe in, but you may be sincerely wrong. What you sincerely believe in may not be God's plan, may not be God's ways, may not be um, the reality of life before God. And that's fine. But when we talk about Paul's theology, it is different. Because Paul expresses the heart of God. Paul holds in his heart, in his theology, what God's view of our lives is all about, or li of living is all about. And therefore, we need to pay very special attention to Paul as he expresses his theology, his understanding of God and his understanding of life in his conversation with the Ephesians. I'd like to raise three points about God's un Paul's understanding of God for his theology. First, that his life is worth nothing. Paul says in verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Now that doesn't make Paul an ascetic. You know what an ascetic is? Ascetic is one who, um, who renounces all earthly goods, all earthly comforts. He renounces all of these. He fights against them, doesn't want them. Now Paul doesn't do that. He simply, as he grows, as he looks at life, he realizes that the trappings of life are not important. He gets them, he takes them, he loses them, he gives them up. Basically, he has realized in life that the trappings of this, this life are unimportant. They are irrelevant in a large sense. He does, not, uh, he, he does not renounce them. He doesn't say, I really don't want any of it. He simply lives through life, seeing that it is not important. Which is why Paul in one of his letters says that I've learned to have a lot and I've learned to have nothing. It doesn't matter. If I have a lot, I'll just live with a lot. If I have nothing, I'll simply live with nothing. How much I have is quite irrelevant to my life. We see then that this theology explains how he lives his life. He says in verse 23 that in every city, the Holy Spirit has warned him that prison and hardship is facing him. Prison and hardship. And yet, it doesn't matter. 
Because whether he is a free man, whether he is running around, or whether he is in prison, whether he is enjoying life in, in a, a host, uh, a palatial, in a luxurious place hosted by a friend, or whether he is sitting in jail and suffering, it really doesn't matter to him. Which is why he explains too, in verse 33, that he has not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Silver, gold and clothing means little to him. In verse 34, he says, You yourselves know these hands of mine have supplied my own needs, the needs of my companions. Sure, he needs to feed himself, but that's about it. The trappings of this life, the discomforts, even the imprisonment, mean, mean nothing to him. Now, if these things mean nothing to him, then what he is suggesting, or what he is indicating, is that these things are really unimportant in life. Not just unimportant to him, but less important in our lives. I find it hard to accept, of course, although I know in my mind that that is true. Because I look forward to some luxuries in life, holidays. I look forward maybe to a good retirement with enough. And yet, slowly, and I hope and pray that day by day I may see things the way Paul sees, because that is the truth of life, that our lives are not important. That doesn't mean that we can just throw it away, we can waste it because it's not important. Our lives are important to God, but not in the way that we often think, preserving my life, making it happy, finding happiness as the chief aim of my life. These are the things that are not important in God's view to our lives. But our lives are still of great value to God and that brings me to the second point. The second point is that he wants to finish the race and complete the task. He says this in verse 24, My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What this says then is that this life, life on planet Earth, is only to finish the race and to finish the task. We often think very wistfully of the time when we retire and then we go on a cruise for the next 10 years, at least 10 good years of enjoying ourselves. But perhaps this isn't what life is about. Because in Paul's view and therefore in the real essence of life, Enjoyment comes in heaven. Enjoyment comes when we have finished this task on earth and then there will be great enjoyment in heaven. But on earth, the purpose of living is to finish the race and to complete the task. Often what does Paul say about finishing the race? It is not notice that he doesn't talk about winning the race. You know, when we were young, and we may, may, our situation may have been very different, may be very different from those of you who are young in your day. But when we were young, we were very ambitious. We always wanted to be number one. Whether it was in church leadership, we wanted to be top. Or in our careers, we wanted to be top. We were very competitive from school to church to work. We were constantly competing with each other. Who is to win the race? But you know, now at my age and I look back and half tired, I realize that all I want is to finish the race. 
I don't really care to win the race because it's such a long race. And as I look in perspective, I don't even know what it means to win the race. I only know what it means to finish the race, to live well to my last day. And what did that mean to Paul? He said that in great humility, with tears in the midst of severe testing, that's in verse 19, by plots of the Jewish opponents, he has not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to the Ephesians, taught publicly and from house to house. Basically, Paul's commission was to speak of the good news of Christ, to talk about God's reconciliation with people in every way possible. And he would live his life in humility, in goodness, so that he could give the good news to people. In verse 35, it says also that I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. To finish the race then is to live well. To not give up to sin, to not succumb to sin, to not succumb to sloth, but to keep on working to the last day. For Paul, one more breath is important. I remember this friend of mine who was wrecked with cancer and he knew that he would soon be dead. But as long as he had breath, he found every way. I remember one poignant day, just a week before he passed away, he received a call from someone uh, who needed to hear the gospel. Where well, was it from the, his wife, the wife of this person who needed to hear the gospel? He was also dying of cancer. And my friend dragged himself out of bed. He could barely move by then. He dragged himself out of bed, got into his wheelchair, got into a taxi. He was actually throwing up blood and all. But in his mind, in his heart, he simply said, well, I'm going anyway but I'm going to make sure that this guy gets to hear of Jesus Christ and his love for him. He made it to the, play, to the hospital to meet this man, shared the gospel, led him to know Jesus Christ, went home, collapsed in bed. That was his last. Very soon after, he passed away. But this man lived to the very end, a purpose in life, a commission by God, because he knew that the reward, the rest, the enjoyment, the joy was in heaven. While on earth, what he lived for was the calling to do every bit possible to help one other person find God and be reconciled to God. It's hard for me to, it's extremely hard for me to accept this. Intellectually, again, I realize that it is true and I pray that one day, each of us will come closer and closer to realization, not just in our minds, but the realization in our hearts that life on earth is about toil. Life on earth is to bring one more person to be ministered to, to know Jesus Christ, to know not just the name, but to know his love for them and to turn to Christ and to trust that Christ will care for them. The third theological point that I want to raise is that the church is of utmost importance to God. Paul says to the Ephesian church in verse 28, 
be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. You know how precious the church is to God if only we realize this? That God shed his blood for the church. And therefore, when we look at the church, we don't see it as a social program or an obligation to turn up for church. We don't see it as something that we just do in our pastime. We see the church as something that God is passionate about. God gave everything he had for the church. And perhaps then I'm learning to see that the church is not just my job where I earn a salary, but that the church is some a group of people who are so precious to God. And whether it is in helping to nourish the church, or whether it is in protecting the church from wolves and from predators who will just seek to pull people out of the church. My role, all our roles, all of us, whether we are leaders in LCC or whether we are small group leaders, church school teachers, children's ministry, youth leaders, or simply a member, that we be passionate like Christ, to reach out to another, to minister to another, to protect another, to nourish one another. You know, if we began to have that attitude towards the church, I tell you, God will pour out his gifts. You will discover supernatural abilities to, to minister to people, whether it is to encourage them and see them smile, see them grow and flourish, whether it is to pray for healing of the heart, healing of the body, whether it is in teaching the word, each of us have been given many, many gifts by God. But what it requires is that we begin to see the church of God, not as something that we volunteer for, something that we come occasionally for, but a body that is so precious to God, that God calls us to give of ourselves, to reach out, to build this church. And so as we understand the theology of Paul, we also understand the realities of life, the truths of life. That first of all, our lives are worth nothing. Not that we are worthless beings, but it's worth not worth the trappings of this life. That we can, over time, we may discover that many of these things are irrelevant to us. Whether it is material things that we have, the acclaim that we may have, the pride that we hold in our hearts, none of these really matter. Secondly, that our role on earth is not to enjoy ourselves. That comes in heaven. Our role on earth is to help one more person find Jesus and be reconciled with God. And third, that this church that we serve in for this moment is very important to God. A church that Christ gave his blood, shed his blood for. Shall we pray? Father, we ask that you bring these spiritual truths to us. That God, they will not just be things that we understand as theology, someone from Bible college teaching us or speaking to us, but that they will be truths of life itself. And that, Lord, day by day we may be 
able to live by these truths, that the theology that we profess and confess with our lips may indeed be the theology that governs our lives, the convictions that we live by. Speak to us, Lord, we ask, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, thank you for bearing with me and listening, and have a blessed day. Goodbye.